Hello everybody and welcome to Out of the Office, a podcast exploring the lessons we can learn from the hit TV show The US Office and learning from it on how we can create a more diverse and inclusive workplace. Join me, Sarah Chandran, founder of Fresh and Fearless, as your host, as we delve into the world of Dunder Mifflin to examine the different characters, scenarios and situations that unfold throughout the series. Each guest that I invite to speak with me will help me analyze the show and unpack what the episodes show us about what not to do about creating a workplace filled with respect, inclusivity and positivity. Now, whether you're a fan of the US office or just interested in learning more about creating a more inclusive workplace, this podcast is for you. So grab your favorite Dundee Award and let's get started. For this particular episode, we'll be looking at conflict resolution from season two, episode 21. And in this episode, Michael Scott, the regional manager of the Scranton office, resolves a conflict between Oscar Martinez and Angela Martin, but then as a result, discovers an entire file filled with other unresolved complaints between other staff members. Um, Michael Scott is then determined to try and resolve them, but in true Michael Scott fashion, his attempts to fix anything actually makes matters worse. Um, so he starts to unearth all these old tensions, all these old complaints between staff members, and in fact creates new ones be- between the office employees. So it's a pretty dire situation by the end of the episode. So I'm, I'm excited and, and looking forward to what we discuss around this particular episode. Now we have the wonderful Sylvia to talk us through this particular episode, Conflict Resolution. Hi Sylvia, welcome to the podcast. Hi everyone, hi Sarah, thank you for having me. No, you're so welcome, you? I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good. You are my second guest on the show and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just enjoying it to be honest, talking about it. But for all our listeners who might not know who you are, um, can you give us a little introduction to yourself? Yeah, so I'm Sylvia. I'm a business psychologist. That means that I look after employee well-being in different organizations. And I've been doing this for quite a while now. I'm doing my PhD in it. But one of my main areas of passion in diversity and inclusion is psychological safety. And I think that in this episode that we're going to discuss today, we'll see the importance of psychological safety and psychological standing. And I'm really excited to talk to you about these two concepts. Mm. Me and Sylvia, we actually used to live together as a bit of, I'm just giving a bit of a big background of who we are and how we know each other. And whenever we just like procrastinate from work, not that we do that very often, (laughs) we would stick the TV on and we'd often watch the office episodes. So we're both big fans and find it cringeworthy, but equally fascinating and hilarious. I mean, I didn't I didn't really have a choice because when I was at your place, it was always the office. <laughs> you don't watch anything else. <laughs> this it's is only, true. That's the only thing on your TV. This is true. I'm to be fair, I mean, I've watched the show about, you know, five or six times or whatever number. It doesn't make me seem like I'm an off crazy office fan. <laughs> but yeah, um, we are watching the show a lot. And having a good laugh at it, yeah. Yeah. I think when you're like in workplace office and you're in the space of DEI and thinking about psychological safety, it's just like a really interesting case study. It's obviously like a uh, emphasized version of like negative workplace culture, but it is like a real moment to go. This this does happen, and this makes me think. This is why my work is so relevant. 
And you, you know what? Sometimes when I'm in similar situations, sometimes what goes through my head is, you know, to do that little thing when that Jim does when he just randomly looks <laughs> an imaginary camera. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wish I could like I was good at accents and good at like mimicking people's behaviors because Jim's face when he turns to the camera is like iconic. I just think anytime you see yeah. something cringy, <laughs> I just want to like give that look of like, oh God, really? Is this what's happening right now? Yeah, yeah I just want to look somewhere imaginary, kind of like I'm looking into the camera <laughs> thinking, yeah, that's awkward. Yeah. So one question that I'm asking all my um, podcast guests is, so in the show, Michael Scott has a mug where it says world's best boss and it's something yeah. he actually bought himself, which I just think he's <laughs> not actually been gifted that. So if you had a world's best something mug, what, what would yours say? Mm. World's best mind ninja, maybe. Mind ninja, I love that. Yeah. Because <laughs> ninjas I mean, are cool. I'm a psychologist, so, you know. Maybe world's best mind ninja. And you know my waves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, my birthday's coming in a month, so that's what I fully expect to receive from you. <laughs> a mug that says world's <laughs> world's best well mind ninja. World's really yes. <laughs> that's it's gonna mm. be really difficult to find that. I'm gonna have to get it personalized. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so obviously we're talking about conflict resolution. And um, you're an expert and very brainy about all things psychological safety and psychological standing, which two That's phrases um, some of our listeners may be unfamiliar with. So I thought it'd be good before we dive into the behaviours of the show, if you kind of just give us an idea of what they mean and what, what actually looks like in the workplace. Yeah, so psychological safety, firstly, is one of those kind of I don't know if you've noticed kind of the trendy phrase that you've been hearing more and more about it in the last few years and it's similar to unconscious bias, for example. So you keep hearing psychological safety and unconscious bias, but really it, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's, it's just about feeling safe to take a risk or um, to speak up or feeling safe to disagree or talk about your concerns, you know, without the fear of negative repercussions at work. That's what psychological safety is. And, you, you know, it, it could be a simple example it could be, you know, do you feel safe to disagree with your manager? Mm -hmm. You know, do you feel safe to um, challenge a colleague knowing that there are no negative repercussions? Do you feel safe to challenge and therefore increase creativity? So really, this is what psychological safety is all about. And what's interesting about it is that we're, we're all so familiar with um, physical threat. And the parts of the brain, or we have parts of the brain that respond to physical threat. But what's interesting is that when we're under threat psychologically, the same areas of the brain respond to that. So our brain doesn't differentiate between psychological pain and physical pain. So it causes a lot of negative physiological responses, such as increased cortisol, which is a stress hormone, you know, increased heart rate, increased heartbeat, um, increased blood pressure. So the problem with this is that on, on a short term, there's no issues, you know, if you feel psychologically threatened. But long term, this can cause an issue. 
And I've done studies myself in my PhD that show that a prolonged exposure to an environment where you don't have psychological safety can lead to early onset of things such as cardiovascular diseases. Wow. So it's a really important thing to have. Now, on the other hand, psychological standing is something that people don't talk about that much. And it's a different concept, slightly different. It's about going beyond psychological safety. Is it's, it's whether or not you feel that you'll be taken seriously mm. when you make a contribution. So it's about whether you think that you'll be valued or that you're even entitled to speak up and act. For example, if I were to say something in a meeting, am I recognized for what I bring to the table? Are my strengths highlighted publicly, for example? Am I being thanked for my contributions? Things like that. So psychological standing goes a step beyond psychological safety. And what's interesting, and I want to raise here, is the fact that their psychological standing, firstly, is individual. So it can change from one meeting to another. Mm. You haven't changed, but the dynamic of the meeting has changed. So your sense of psychological standing can change from one place to another. But what's interesting is that you can also have one without the other. So you can have psychological safety and not have psychological standing. And you can have psychological standing without having psychological safety. But obviously, you want to have both in a healthy work environment. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, yes. I mean, my mind is blown. Just hearing you talk about it, you're <laughs> just such an expert. I mean, if you're studying it and writing about it and researching it, obviously, it's everything that you know and breathe. Um, and it's just so interesting because I think that's something that a lot of workplaces struggle with in terms of psychological safety and psychological standing. And as you were talking about, like onset cardiovascular disease, the first person that came to mind was um, who's the one Stanley. that was Stanley? <laughs> as soon as you said that, I was like, Stanley is literally this character because he's obviously not got an environment where he feels safe. I mean, the uh, the amount of microaggressions like racial microaggressions that he goes through and just the workplace yeah. itself with Michael Scott like you know he's often like doing his crossword in the in the meetings and stuff but obviously without that psychological safety you know we're spending so much of our time at work that obviously that stuff is going to impact your physical health and we see that in Stanley and then there's that episode I know we're not talking about that episode but I'm going to talk about it anyway where he has that monitor the blood pressure yes. monitor yeah and every time Michael Scott walks closer and closer to him it's like beeping <laughs> through the roof <laughs> and if that isn't like a, a a visual like clue of what psychological safety can be and not be in the workplace I think that really is it and that's that's a very good point you know since you you brought that episode out because that exactly as you said that shows that the mental, so the, the, the mental state, because Stanley was not in any physical danger, but his no. brain was reacting in a way that his heart was going crazy just when Michael was close to him. Yeah. So I that, mean, just, that just shows that we have these physiological reactions when we lack psychological safety or psychological standing or just, just well-being or trust at work. Um, and I, I, I think that that was, <laughs> that was very well represented in that scene. Yeah. 100%. So let's take it back to conflict resolution and yeah. everything that kind of falls apart in that particular episode. So it obviously starts with Oscar being very upset 
with Angela and this picture that she wants to have up on her desk. And they're both just like really kind of arguing in this meeting room. And Toby comes out and, and the clip that we kind of like looked at was that Toby comes out and speaks to Michael and says, you know, I just kind of have a way of like these things end up resolving themselves. I just kind of let them talk it out, vent about it, and then they eventually forget about it and move on. And um, I'm curious from your perspective, is that what happens? You know, when people raise issues in the workplace and they say this is a particular uh, problem that I'm having with another colleague, is it okay to just kind of listen to it and then move on and not do anything about it? Is Toby's approach the right one? Or do you think it's not quite? I wouldn't say, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Toby's approach is the right one, especially since in the episode he said that I think the best thing to do is just listen, because that's a very passive approach, let's mm. be honest. I wouldn't say that it's completely wrong either, because if I remember correctly, and now correct me, please correct me if I'm wrong, does he bring Angela and Oscar in the same room to discuss? Yes. The conflict. Right, so I see, I oh, agree with that part. I'm not sure he does. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think about it. I think I, I don't remember. No, I think it's just Oscar speaking to um, to Toby, and Oscar's just shouting. About... To Toby. Yeah, yeah. He's it's right. just, okay. just Oscar okay. in the real time. Right. Okay. See, because because in that case, then there's no resolution. There's no. There's a conflict, but there's no resolution. It's just very passive. It's like you're talking to. I don't know, just a wall, basically. Someone just listens. Yeah. So there's there's no there's no it's not even active listening. So no, I absolutely do not agree with that approach. I thought initially, because I think I'm remembering the, the I'm misremembering the episode that he had brought Oscar and Angela into the room to discuss, which would have been very different. Mm. But Toby's approach to just I don't know bring Oscar. <laughs> the room and just let him vent for half an hour and then that's it and is it that he writes a formal complaint and then he puts them in boxes or something like that yeah so what happens in the episode yeah. is we see that Toby has these like boxes under his desk and he's got these folders yeah. in his drawers and um, filled with complaints that are just literally their complaints on pieces of paper with no kind of resolution and Dwight has big issues and lots of complaints about Jim another character in the show and Toby has this huge box like it's absolutely massive where Dwight sends all these complaints to Toby and Toby has told Dwight oh you know this is going to a special head office place that's going to be dealt with separately but actually those pieces of paper and those complaints are just sat under his desk because Toby's just hoping, I guess, yeah. brush it under the carpet and it will just go away because I think he just hopes that people forget about it. But I'm I'm not sure that people do forget about these things. People don't forget about them. And a lot of the times, if you put it off or if you delay it, if you delay a resolution for a long time, it becomes too late. It becomes something I I almost like to describe it as a wound, you know, a conflict leaves a wound. And that wound starts to heal, but it can start to heal by leaving a scar or not. And by delaying that process, you will end up with a scar. That relationship is never going to be the same. You know, there's always going to be something and it takes 
a lot of courage. It takes a lot of trust, which are both components of psychological safety and psychological standing. And it takes a lot of active listening from the other person to be able to have a constructive discussion about a disagreement. Now, what people, the, the reason why people are often afraid to raise these things is because they see conflict as just being a confrontation. Conflict doesn't have to be a confrontation. There are many ways you can have a conflict with someone where it doesn't become toxic. Mm -hmm. So I think this is something that people need to keep in mind and be open to the fact that a conflict is not always a bad thing. As long as we have psychological safety and psychological standing to back us up. Mm. Does that so what does that, yeah. So what does, what does that actually look like in a kind of tangible way when you have healthy mm. conflict in a room? How does that play out? So there's many ways of doing this, but for example, it's about firstly, this is just an example. You could start by asking the other person, what did they make of the situation? and why they have reacted in a certain way. Try to leave your assumptions at the door. It's so easy for us to make an assumption and to jump to our own conclusions. But firstly, try to understand the other's point of view. And this is where active listening and empathy come into place. This is where putting yourself in the other person's shoes come into, comes into place. And it's a lot more difficult to do than to say, obviously, because it's not something that we're comfortable with, especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion, especially if we have a conflict with a person that is different than us. And that could be racial diversity, could be gender diversity, could be someone that we just don't, we can't simply empathize with them as easily because we're not familiar with their identity. So firstly, tan as tangible action, I would say, try to leave those things behind and firstly have an open conversation as to where you're each coming from. And then when there's a conflict, our sympathetic nervous system comes into play and we go into fight or flight. When, when we pause and we take a breath, we activate our parasympathetic nervous system. And that's the, the nervous system that calms us down when I fight and flight anymore. Mm. So we breathe and just listen. But my advice would be don't listen to reply. Yeah. Listen to listen. Don't listen thinking that, oh, he said that I, he or she said that or, or they said that. And what am I going to say next? Because it's so easy to make up, you know, your reply in your head and you're missing some critical information. And then it's about being open to receiving that feedback and always using words such as in my opinion mm. i felt that so it's about owning your feelings i felt that when you said this blah 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 etc you know so it's about owning your feelings sometimes it's as easy as just planting a simple idea at the beginning of the meeting you know saying Today, I want to hear from everyone. That's it. You've planted the idea. So you're a manager and you say that to everyone. Today, I want to hear from everyone. That means that today you want to hear from everyone. Everyone is included in this conversation. So these are some easy steps, but 
when it comes to conflict, I guess this is how I would summarize it. You know, listen to listen, don't listen to reply and be open to reflect. Don't go into defensive mode straight away. Because when you say, if you were to say to me, Sarah, um, you made me feel bad because I don't know, you didn't get me my mug for my birthday. <laughs> I like this saying in a really strange and awkward angle. <laughs> I could say, I could get defensive and I could say, well, I didn't get your mug because, uh, I don't know, I got you something else or I was busy or something. So that's me getting defensive, but I didn't, it doesn't matter to you, does it? Because at the end of the day, you're hurt that I didn't get you a mug. And I know this is not the greatest example, but the point is I'm not taking your feelings into account. Yeah. And it doesn't matter the reasoning that I have. What matters is that my actions hurt you my justification won't make a difference. I love that. I think this, it goes back to that thing that we always talk about. And especially when we talk about microaggressions, it's all about the impact, not the intention. Yes, we're all coming from a well-intentioned perspective. We're not trying to hurt people's feelings, which is all well and true, but the impact's still there. You know, as you were saying, we still make those marks and those scars start to embed themselves and they don't disappear if we just focus on just the intention and not actually the impact of what we're saying and that person's feelings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with, with Toby, just just listening, what he's doing is letting Oscar vent for half an hour or something into the office to get that initial mm. rage or whatever he was experiencing out. But then what's under that? You know, if you go looking at the emotions, what's under that? It's going to build resentment towards Angela, towards everyone, it's just going to be worse and worse and worse. And those things are not going to be so overt anymore. They're going to start being micro behaviors, microaggressions towards other people, you know, because they're not open anymore. I don't have that that sense of rage. I want to scream at Angela for that picture that she has on her desk. It's going to become resentment. And we both know in the office, you know, the whole thing between Oscar and Angela, how it turns out in the end. So yeah. I mean, yeah. to be fair, they did obviously start to see eye to eye very much later in the later seasons. But you can yeah. see there is so much underlying, like, mutual disrespect and resentment towards each other. Like, they can never see eye to eye. They're just constantly, like, seeing each other negatively. And it's not because of just one clear moment. It's probably those series of little moments that they've gone to Toby and said X, Y, Z, and it's gone unresolved. So they've just had to swallow that kind of um difference in opinion or difference in thinking and not actually have that aired out and come to some sort of mutual understanding and meeting in the middle right um and seeing each other and each other's kind of emotions in that particular scenario yeah absolutely and it's also thinking about conflict resolution you know and i I completely agree with what you're saying that they didn't have the space to air, air out these issues and they come out, you know, they just, they naturally come out in other ways. But there's also something there about being open and finding common ground with another person, because mm-hmm. you can air these things out all you want, but if you're not open to, to help create the sense of psychological safety at work, then it's just going to be aired 
and it's just going to be a full-on conflict so yeah. there's got to be this openness from both sides to almost think of it this way it's not me against you it's me and you against the problem mm. yeah so we're a team we have this problem how do we as a team solve the problem it's not me against you yeah and that the way even when you say that 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 creates a shift in the mindset you know when you you take the problem outside and you try seeing it from the outside that's that's a completely different way of putting the, the same issue but you put it you 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 create a complete different image about it yeah and i'm just thinking how different the us office would be if it was about us against the problem and not you against me because i guess a lot of it the problem would be i don't know and uh, <laughs> michael scott and his management styles and <laughs> many the other problem, things. yeah the problem usually in the office is a behavior mm. so it's a behavior that can be changed that's the problem the problem is not a person you know you can you can easily say oh you're my problem you Dwight are my problem or, or you Pam are my problem because you talk about your wedding all the time mm. the problem is the behavior and as long as you understand that the behavior can be changed then that makes a whole that, that makes a difference but then there's so much underlining this you know is there a willingness to change the behavior do they care enough mm. you know to get along to change that behavior and you know there, there's so much under this yeah it's about how you create that space that work where people are valued and feel valued that they want to give you something back you know but it's so easy to say i don't want to change my behavior for someone at work yeah. i don't care they're not my friend they're not my family but at the end of the day you do spend eight hours a day with that person and getting along with them is just going to be so much better for everyone <laughs> yeah exactly i'm just thinking about what you were saying about um the seeing the, the problem with the behaviors but i was just wondering with the way obviously the series goes and it is always seen as like the person is the problem and, and people don't focus on the behaviors or the actions um do you think like by that point, you know, obviously then later on in the show, Michael Scott get, then gets brings out the big box of all the complaints and starts airing <laughs> stuff that people had like taken their, you know, their, their complaints back. He was still talking about them openly. Once that's done, like, is there actually a way to come back from that? Is there a way to kind of build psychological safety? Because that's really hard once you've got all those complaints out in the air and everyone's like oh uh, you know uh, Stanley made a complaint of, against Phyllis and was like you know I you know I can't remember what his specific complaint was but Phyllis was like oh I thought we were friends you know and then there's a complaint against Pam about her wedding as you said and then there's all these mm. other complaints that kind of come to light and yeah I just wonder like once that behavior is done and that kind of outcome has happened is there a way back is there a way to get that kind of safety and trust back into the organization? That's a really good question. And I think 
there's obviously no clear answer to it but let's yeah. just try and put ourselves in those people's shoes in reality obviously this is a show but in reality if something like this would happen obviously let's ignore the the whole legal <laughs> issues with all of this but, yeah but, um i it would be extremely hard to come back from something like this you would need to have employees that are extremely dedicated to stay in the same job yeah that that's what i can say about it i you're trying to put trying to imagine a situation like this where you you firstly okay firstly in general we see that there's this trend uh, that you can see on social media and everywhere you know where you um people don't easily trust hr firstly so there's this trend of mistrust and everything that's meant to be anonymous you know is it really anonymous and we see them everywhere on tiktok you know you see one side that says oh hr is not on your side and then another side from hr people saying like no that's complete rubbish and etc so um firstly it takes courage to go to hr and put in a complaint but then if you see your complaints aired publicly like that i think it would be extremely difficult to come back in mm. the real world obviously in scranton it's they have the <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um but i would say yeah it's very difficult mm. it is it is really really tricky yeah, it's just it's interesting that um, I feel like Toby and Michael take very polar opposite kind of approaches to the conflicts. And I think that just goes to show the very differences between Toby and Michael Scott in the in the entirety of the show. And just that point you made about, you know, there is that trend of seeing HR as not someone to trust and as an entity itself to kind of keep it at an arm's length because it's there to protect the organisation. Um, but there's also, you know, the other side where some managers might see HR as like sucking the fun out of everything because Michael Scott likes to see it in terms of, you know, it's all about um, obligation and rule books and all of these yeah. things. But Michael Scott's like, no, we're a family and we're all going to have a banter and we're going to have a good time together, which is great in some ways. But in other ways, it actually doesn't do a service to creating that kind of welcoming culture environment. And then there's the flip where, you know, I guess Toby's in a difficult position because, you know, he's just this one person within the Scranton office who is responsible for HR, but potentially doesn't have all the power he needs to to be able to do things because that's just the kind of format of the organisation. So he just doesn't deal with the conflicts. He doesn't kind of move forward with them. Um, so it is like a, a, a tricky situation between the characters and their roles within that organization and that's really an interesting point because when you said that that you know toby doesn't necessarily have the right tools to you know he's he's just one person and michael scott is such a big presence in the room so then what i, I was thinking what, what you're talking is the fact that actually well toby doesn't have psychological standing yeah. because he knows that nothing that he says will feel valued not he that nothing that he says will be taken into account and i don't know you, you know obviously the show starts with toby being this way 
but I don't think that will be started being this way at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I thought that he, I think that at the beginning he he tried perhaps a little bit more to kind of, you know, put his foot down, but Michael Scott kind of, you know, completely ignored him and always told him that you suck the fun out of everything. And what do you know about conflict resolution, Toby? Your answer to everything is to get, in, is to get divorced. <laughs> yeah, very harsh. So basically what happened is that Toby feels very safe in his job. You know, he's got a psychological safety, you know, he, you know, he's, he feels free maybe to, to speak up or, or to disagree. Maybe so in some situations, but he has no psychological standing whatsoever. Mm. And that was because he was squashed by Michael Scott. who's an awful manager. Yeah. Because and actually throughout the series, you know, Toby does, he does air his disagreements and does kind of come up against Michael. But as you say, the psychological standings are not there. So he, there's nothing that can come as a result of those disagreements. So yes, he has the safety, but the standing isn't quite there. And, you know, then as the series goes on, I think you can see that spark kind of just like fall to the wayside for Toby. And I think like later on in the series, someone says, you know, Toby, isn't this your job as the HR person? And he's like, I think he literally like throws his pen and he's like, HR's a joke. Like he he just gets to that point where, where he can, yeah. he knows what's right and he, he knows that he can disagree. But like you say, that standing isn't there to be able to. Yeah, to absolutely. And look where it takes him. Doesn't he go to Costa Rica and yeah. <laughs> something like that? <laughs> yeah. And then he gets injured, which I felt so bad about. So he didn't actually get to see Costa yeah. Rica. <laughs> Yes, that's true. Yes, yeah, I remember. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's it, you know, and and I've seen in the real world, you know, usually in the real world, only one disagreement like this can be enough to make someone leave their job. Mm. So it doesn't take you know, a picture and a disagreement and a t-shirt or whatever is happening in the office. A lot of the times, one simple disagreement, if it's not handled properly and in a safe way, that's enough to make people leave. And this is what I think people miss when they think about psychological safety, how crucial it is, because people will leave. People will not stay to take this this level of, you know, microaggressions forever, especially nowadays, you know, where everyone is working remote. There are so many other jobs out there. Um, you know, it's just people don't really tend to accept this. And then you get those things where, you know, that trend, quiet quitting. Mm-hmm. And you just you just start seeing them doing the very, very least at their jobs and they don't put any more effort into socializing with their colleagues or in any sort to build any sort of informal relationships, which we've seen from the research that are actually the ones that matter the most. Yeah. And this is where people feel that they're excluded, not in the official relationships that you build at work, but it's about who you go to to the pub after work who do you call when you want some advice it's the informal network where we see minorities 
get excluded the most and we see them leave and then we lose the creativity we lose the innovation and that's because they never had psychological safety and psychological standing they never felt valued so they're all interrelated all of these microaggressions psychological safeties um empathy they're all things that just make an employee feel safe and make them makes them motivate to give a lot of effort and perform well at their job and unfortunately a lot of people don't understand these things today mm -hmm. and you can lose it just like that so so quickly and whenever i watch the office obviously if <laughs> if it was a real world half of those employees would have gone by now but obviously for the purpose of the show <laughs> they stick around and we see a lot more uh things transpire and a lot more mistakes that Michael Scott and various other characters make. Um, I think I think there was an episode once when um, the Scranton branch merges with another branch. Yes. You've got a few employees that come in and they stay for an hour or two and they're like, no, I'm out of here. Yeah. It's, so it did it's, happen as well. It, it definitely did happen. Um, we actually spoke about that in a previous podcast. So for those of the listeners that haven't heard that merger episode, definitely go back and listen to that because that's a good indication mm -hmm. of when psychological safety is not there and people just, great talent, just leaves the business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Sylvia, yeah. this has been truly wonderful. Um I could listen to you talk all day about psychological safety and now psychological standing. You've just expanded my awareness oh. of a whole new, whole new term. So I appreciate please, you. Please don't. I no, don't don't make me talk about this all day because I will, I will, I will talk to you about it all day. I, seriously. Oh <laughs> uh, well. It's just um, once I started talking about it, I just I feel like there's so much information in my head all of a sudden, and my mouth can't keep up. Well, I do feel like there's probably a lot more episodes where there is good like case study and examples of a lack of social, uh, psychological safety. So I think um, we'll probably have you back to to talk more about it in terms of other episodes. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, other I'm really looking too. forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's um, it's definitely a very good example of what um, how it shouldn't be. Exactly. The and then somehow it ends, everything ends on a good note somehow. So, you know, maybe everything that we know is wrong. <laughs> Imagine, actually, if you create your office space, just like the US office show, everything will be amazing. Because somehow they still seem to get some really great results. Sales targets are always exceeded. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a very interesting. You know, maybe there's something there that we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well you're you're the researcher maybe you can have a look and see what is that we don't know that maybe we should be implementing in our business next, um next phd chapter analyzing michael scott management style <laughs> can't wait to read it <laughs> uh, well, yeah. thank you so much and thank you to all our listeners for tuning in for today's episode um i hope you enjoyed it if there's a particular episode that you want us to kind of unpack next then let us know we'll have links in the description on how you can do that and obviously if you want to have Sylvia back which I'm sure you will then let us know and yeah if there's any particular episode that you want Sylvia to unpack 
then do do uh, message us and let us know. Um, but yes, thank you so much. Thank you for Take having care me. And see you in the next episode.